Welcome to Podcast at Boatwright. I am Lucretia McCulley, Head of Scholarly Communications at Boatwright Library. Our faculty interview is with Dr. Julian Hayter, Assistant Professor of Leadership Studies. Dr. Hayter is the author of The Dream is Lost, Voting Rights and the Politics of Race in Richmond, Virginia, published recently by the University Press of Kentucky. The book describes more than three decades of national and local racial politics in Richmond and illuminates the unintended consequences of civil rights legislation. Julian, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So to start off our conversation, what inspired you to write this book? Well, um, I was born in 1975 after um, the end of the traditional phase of the civil rights movement. And um, we were taught when I was younger that the civil rights movement did this and it did that. And um, I was told, um, you know, as a triumph narrative that um, it did away with um, systemic and institutional bigotry in the United States. And as I got older, it, Growing up in the inner city um, and then being bussed out to a predominantly white school, it became harder for me to reconcile the story that was told in the civil rights movement with the reality of black life in the 1980s and then in the early 1990s. Many of the guys that I grew up with um, either got wrapped up in gang violence, uh, some uh, were murdered, others uh, just kind of fell victim to what a, a black author once called the poisonous street life. And um, so this book is really uh, me coming to terms with my with my youth, but it's also me coming to terms with um, what it means to be black in America at, at the end of the 20th century, after the civil rights movement. So um, while a sizable portion of the book deals with the mid-20th century, I think um, it pivots on what happens after um, the, the civil rights movement or the spirit of reform of the civil rights movement comes to an end. But more importantly, I think it's a way for, uh, to explain why America's cities that have predominantly um, minority populations or are almost predominantly minor, uh, uh, minority populations um, look the way they do in the 21st century. So in that way, it was me putting myself on the proverbial sofa, mm -hmm. uh, but using American history as a way to try to understand um, my situation and people like me and um, all people who grew up in, in throughout the United States. The book is only nominally about Richmond. I mean, it, and, and I say that, and I, I know what that might sound like, but it really is a, a story about American cities in general. But there might be some things in the book that are specific to Richmond, but there are things in that book that aren't specific to Richmond. So in that way, um, the book is about what, it's, what black life was like at the end of the 20th century. All right, thank you. That's fascinating. Thanks for sharing that story. Well, how can the University of Richmond community use this book to address the city of Richmond? Well, I think a lot... Uh, more and more Americans know less and less about 20th century urban history. We don't really understand the spaces that we live in, um, not in any real historical sense, about why cities look the way they do, where people live, where they live. Um, 
many people think that people live in particular areas of a city or cities or police certain areas in a particular way, that this think these things emerge organically. Um, and I think one of the things that Richmond has set itself out to do in recent years is engage the city of Richmond um, more genuinely than this institution has in the past. And if you're going to do that, I think you have to do it. You have to meet Richmond on its own terms. Mm -hmm. I think this book, in some ways, is a portal in doing that in large part because it explains much of the history um, that transpired in the city from about the mid 20th century to now. Um, and it's, a, it, I would say, in, in that regard, it's it, it's a sobering history that um, might help the University of Richmond people who um, are affiliated with the institution and students um, come to grips with the sobering reality uh, of the city because in many ways it's it's very unlike this this campus um, but in some ways it's a reflection of the kind of uh, segregated spaces that when I say this I mean this institution that have characterized this city for most of the city's history well, related to that, um, did students assist you with the research and preparation of this book? No. <laughs> um, and, and, I'll, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, I think, and I'm going to be as frank about this as I can be, I think institutions sometimes get caught up in what I call pedagogical fashion. And one of the fashionable things for universities to do right now is to champion student research. Um, and I am completely in favor of that, but it's, it is not necessarily useful across the board in terms of discipline. Some disciplines lend themselves to student research in ways that others do not. Um, history, I'm a historian by training, is a, is a sensitive subject in large part that it takes a lot of contextual knowledge to unpackage primary sources. So um, in that way, my job as a historian is to first educate students on how to do that before um, I can get any kind of collaborative utility right. out of working with students. Mm -hmm. It is an, you know, in some ways, undergraduate, then don't get me wrong, I think every once in a while you'll find a student who, who can do it um, and do it well. But it's something that usually gets picked up in graduate school. And learning how to do research as a historian. And I'm sure certain people might, might, not, might not agree with that. But I think if you lined up the majority of historians, they would tell you that um, I mean, there's nothing inherently difficult about uh, the discipline. It's just the type of knowledge that one has to gain over a long period of time to be able to tell a story. Um, it's a very sensitive endeavor, and I think that sensitivity can only be gained through years of research and years of being trained on how to deal with primary and secondary sources very, uh, very carefully. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, thinking about the final product, how would you envision undergraduate students using the book for their study and research? That's where I think students become, can become or start to become historians. We're not just reading the book for content, we're reading the book um, for to get them to say, how do I use sources? What, what historiographical arguments am I making? Um, 
And where does this book fit in with the larger story of the way that people are beginning to tell the um, 20th century urban history? Um, and I think in that way, believe it or not, when I've, t- I've taught this book b- before, it became an actual book. Right. And um, there are things in the book that students just aren't, aren't aware of, in large part because there's a pedagogical crisis in many of, in, at the high school level. I think um, this is a dis- disparage high school history teachers, but a lot of high school history gets bogged down in the Civil War and the American Revolutionary Era. And a lot of students come to college now without a firm understanding what happened in the 20th century. So in some ways, this book um, works to get them up to speed on histories um, that they're not familiar with when they get here. And in that way, the book serves a kind of dual purpose. We use it as a portal to understand the discipline of history, but we also use it just to to get at the, the the bottom of what Amer- what happened in 20th century American history, so I mean that's and that's where students I think start to become interested in in, in, in um, grappling with what history is and is not. And our last question: How did library services support you in writing this book? You made that book, Lucretia. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> right. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, Lucretia McCulley sent me a link that did, uh, digitized uh, Richmond Times Dispatch uh, newspaper articles, and um, I couldn't have done it without the library services of the University of Richmond. I could have, but it would have taken me a lot longer. Um, so I think the fact that library liaisons work uh, intimately with professors and have relationships with them uh, lends itself to more thorough research. And, and um, that, I think, is an invaluable resource for people, especially in the disciplines, like, especially disciplines like history, because you can't know it all. And there are people who have um, spent their lives learning how to find, um, where to find valuable information uh, for particular topics. And I think one of the things that worked out well is that you're familiar with my research. And because you're familiar with my research, you know where to find particular things um, that I might overlook, in large part um, because sometimes I think we have a tendency as researchers to, uh, how do I say this, Um, to burrow in to particular databases or particular sets of data and um, at the expense of sometimes looking at things. And this is like you just can't keep up with all the, um, the progressions in library sciences. And, and there, you know, in this day and age, the nature in which information is cataloged changes so frequently, it's hard to keep, it, it's hard to keep up with those changes. And I think so in that way, library services who are abreast of um, the nature in which the field of library science has developed uh, is an invaluable resource because it, it makes my job a lot easier. Well, thanks for your appreciation. You're very welcome. Well, thank you, Dr. Hader, for your conversation. The Dream is Lost, Voting Rights and the Politics of Race in Richmond, Virginia, is available in Boatwright Library and the University Bookstore.